All right, so welcome back, everybody, all three of you. Uh, this week, <laughs> we are going to get to know our other host, Leanne, and uh, learn a little bit about her and how she entered into the world of dog geekery and can never find her way out because we won't let her. Um, so welcome, Leanne. Welcome, everybody. And let me start with with the age-old question of what what got you started in animals in general? Because I'm sure, I know it started long before your current career. Yeah, yes, it did. So I was one of those horse crazy kids. I was one of those little girls who everything was horse. And we didn't have the money for a horse. I remember even as like a seven-year-old going through the Yellow Pages, which no one's heard of. They're a book with like businesses in it. It's like Google for the old people. Mm -hmm. And I would call up, I would call up people and say, "How much is your Andalusian?" <laughs> I'd like to buy an Andalusian, and then I'd go to my parents. What's five thousand dollars? You know. <laughs> as bad as me like grilling my parents when I was little about why couldn't we just pay for a horse with a check yeah why not because why they, not? Would, they would say we don't have the money and I would say we'll just write a check <laughs> it's only five thousand dollars yeah uh, so anyway so we got my parents owned this really shabby horrid poodle oh good god and he was uh, he was just hideous and hateful and he was a little bastard and he hated me and I didn't like him and so I wanted a real dog, one that wasn't a hideous little thing. And so we bought a, you know, probably backyard bred garbage German Shepherd. And I used her as my horse because I, I didn't have one. And so I trained her um, kind of just using treats and, and we went everywhere together. And then when I was nine, we fi I finally got horses and then that, you know, then once that, you know, then everything falls apart, you know, then at 4-H and I did sheep and rabbits and horse and veterinary science, the whole gamut in horses. Uh -huh. And all through high school, I was a 4-H kid and I showed horses. We did English and Western and then I got into dressage. And then I, instead of going to college, I decided that horses were way cooler. And so I traveled around the country working at horse barns in my youth. Uh, I went to Kentucky and worked at Churchill Downs, which was the coolest thing I'd, I could even imagine. I worked, it was so storied and amazing. And I got to see the, the Kentucky Derby from the backside, which is what the oh, track cool. is called, where you work. And I got to ride on the track and I started colts there. I must have started a 100 or 200 colts. And you get really good at starting colts at a place like that. And I just kind of traveled around the country and did that. But I kept thinking I probably needed to get an education. So I came home and started my own business. So I started a massage barn. And at the same time, I was going to school kind of part-time. And kind of messed around with that for about, I don't know, seven, eight years. And got... I can't remember exactly what happened. The wheels kind of came off. Oh, I had these wonderful clients. And they totaled my horse trailer. Oh no! And their car, their their car insurance had lapsed literally three days before they totaled my horse trailer, so it wasn't insured. Oh if, no! Yeah, and if I had wanted to use my insurance, 
to because it was insured through my you know on my vehicle it the deductible was something like you know two thousand dollars well i didn't have two thousand dollars and they they paid me back but they paid me back in 20s you know what i mean Ooh. you know like here's a 20 and then a week later here's another 20 and then there's a oh. hundred and there was no way i was ever gonna be buying another horse trailer and, and at the same time i was getting married my life was changing around a little bit so I quit the business and that's when I kind of fell into veterinary medicine mm -hmm. and that was awesome because I'm a geek. I totally own that. I, I want to know, you know, how do you know the re how do you know the, what, re what numbers are renal numbers? What do they mean? What's BUN mean? What does it stand for? I, that, that's who I am. And so it was a perfect world for me. I, tr I did, a, I did, I worked at one veterinary hospital, then I went to another corporate veterinary hospital where my job was to tell the doctors the bad news from the corporation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was my job. My job was to try to find a way to tell the doctors something horrible that I knew they were going to hate and then take their manipulated reality and put it back to the corporate overlords to make it feasible or palatable for them. It was a lot of fun. It was really awful. We actually were, we were running a black market in drugs because a corporate people didn't let us get heart guard anymore. We weren't allowed to use oh, heart guard mm -hmm. and we could only use pro heart six when it first came out before it was recalled. Oh geez. And our doctors hated pro heart six. Cause remember you had to go through this massive needle. Like I think at like a 16 gauge or an 18, it was huge. You could run a train yeah. through it. Yep. And you, you give it to some chihuahua and the thing is screaming and it's, you know, scratching his back and oh, the owners hated it. So we were running this black market with another veterinary hospital in the area where we'd buy the ProHeart 6 and sell it to them. <laughs> we'd buy the heart them. And we'd do the same thing with suture. They didn't like Vicryl and we wanted Vicryl. I was just silly. So I, that was, that was black never going to last. Oh my God, that was never going to last. So I ended up going to get another veterinary hospital and I worked there for about 15 years and I really loved it. And I managed that hospital too. Um, and I just, I, I managed a couple hospitals, really enjoyed it to some extent, but you know, there's drama in veterinary hospitals. There's a lot of ego wrapped up in veterinary hospitals and it just, it just stopped kind of appealing to me and I had to go in another direction and that's kind of a hard decision or hard thing to do when you're older than 20. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel that. Yeah. Absolutely. So, but I knew that the time I had to do it, I had to, I had to make some sort of jump. And, um, so I, I randomly applied for a job at a, we'll just call it a big box dog training or big box store as a dog trainer. And, because uh, I'm like, I know how to train a dog. I've been training horses my whole life. How hard can a dog be? And it kind of started there. And and the, their program's adequate. It's not great. It's positive only in in theory, not in reality. Yeah. And it was one of those, and, and I kind of knew from the onset that I'm not a corporate animal. So it was really funny. I always, I'm the only one who knows the rules because I'm the only one who reads them, it seems. So I'd be breaking, <laughs> I'd be breaking rules and the boss wouldn't know. And he'd let the other boss in the building and he'd come in and say, Leanne, you have to take down all those flyers. And I was like, dude, you didn't know that? I mean, <laughs> yeah. you're not, duh. He's like, you're not supposed to make your own materials. I was like, really? You don't say. So I was running, I was doing parkour in the, 
<laughs> on the dog food bags. And we were doing all sorts of fun, gnarly classes we weren't supposed to run. And we were just calling them tricks under the yep. giant umbrella of trick classes or whatever. Yep. And then, um, then I decided to start, you know, I've already owned my own business once. Let's do it again. And so I started my business and started the dog spot to help be an umbrella so that my business wouldn't have to pay all the, the lease. And we've been doing that now for a couple of years. And that's how I guess I ended up where I'm, I'm at. All right. Okay. So you started the, the dog spot, which is your training organization um, and yes. business. Yes. Um, and have you have you discovered that your your past lives have helped in um in your dog training career um it's it's fascinating because in hor in horses horses is all negative reinforcement all of it and horses never ask you to train them a horse can live its entire life and just be completely happy converting grass into shit it doesn't care and it doesn't have unmet needs whereas a dog wants to work with you they care about you and they enjoy working with you so you can get away with a lot more with a dog than you can with a horse and i always knew that training horses because of course i had what we call truck dogs the whole time i owned horses you know the dog that followed me from place to place and she had all these tricks that she'd learned eating uh, m&ms and goldfish mm -hmm. and so Yes and no, because, you know, I stepped into dog training kind of in a weird time when everybody was moving into positive reinforcement and, or at least that's kind of the sea change that was occurring, which does take into account the dog's attitude has to, you have, you have to they have to meet you halfway. Uh -huh. And in a horse, you, they don't meet you halfway. You get on them and you're like tough nuggets. You're being ridden today, and or, or you don't because they're two thousand <laughs> plus pounds, and they go, um, "No, I'm not." They launch you into orbit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's the end of that conversation. Yeah, I worked really hard, and I never let a horse figure out how powerful they were. And uh, so, anyway, it, it, it's hard because I've been having to work really hard to create. All of my, you know, I cheat for a couple of ways. I, I think I just treat cheat in that I'm a pretty good trainer, period. Just, I've had all this history. I've, you know, trained all these horses. And even though it's not dogs, I've owned dogs the whole time. And I kind of have the training mentality. So I'm not, I've never been a just completely garbage trainer. So I more or less get my point across. And all the dogs I've owned have been herding type dogs. I've owned German Shepherds and Border Collies and Australian Shepherds and mystery mixes that were mostly part of that mix by and large and all these dogs have really stepped up and they want to work for you and 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 then i start working with pet dogs and they yeah. don't you know they no. come in and they've never worked for anything in their whole entire lives and and the owner has been bribing them with filet all just to get them to eat and they weigh 600 pounds and the owner's like, well, he won't eat treats. And I'm like, well, good God, you could not feed this dog for six months. I mean, honestly, you're, you're going to kill him. So, <laughs> and, and so that's been a really different thing. The other thing that's kind of different is the mentality of the owners. When, when you get into horses, you, you know that you can't 
start a cult. No one says, I'm going to buy a foal and raise it up myself and train it myself and then ride it. Everybody, everybody getting into horses is smart enough to realize that's a good way to end up killed. You, no one starts cults unless that's what you do. You are the right. person who starts cults. And, and the understanding is always there. You must train the colt. It's not optional. It's not, oh, I'm going to own a horse and he's just going to sit in the, you, you have to, you, you, to do anything with these animals, you must train them. You know, I was thinking today, there's no such thing. No one, come, no one in the horse world says, my horse pulls on the leash. That's just, it's not an option. You can't have a thousand pound animal having an argument with you about whether or not he should be leading and you should be following. They're all immediately what we call halter broken. And it simply means that they're taught, don't, don't rip the halter out of my hands. And it's not through violence. It's not through aggression. It's simply giving to pressure. If I change direction, I strongly suggest you go the same direction as me. And it's nylon um, halter and we all handle feet every single day you pick the hooves or you have you know you have farriers coming every six weeks so the expectation is that the horse can be handled none of that's true with dogs people think that dogs have some magical inborn capacity to live in the household and they also believe that they themselves have a magical ability to train this animal uh -huh. well neither one of those is true <laughs> <laughs> and so even when they do come to training, their attitude is, oh, I've failed or my dog is a failure because this natural inborn thing isn't here. Um, I don't know why my dog wasn't born understanding that chewing electrical wiring is bad or yeah. I don't know why I can't get my dog to do a recall um, when he lives inside the house 24 out of 24 hours and the only time he gets out is when he bolts through the door. And He's seven months old and he keeps biting me. <laughs> exactly. And so the attitudes are completely different. I mean, when you start, when I had clients in the horse world, they were clients for life. I knew that the second I got them into my clutches, sure, they might change sports and go to a different barn, but they, they weren't going to ever stop going to a barn. You knew when you got a horse that that was a lifetime learning commitment for you and the animal. And and that's what you did. You just trained them. You trained them all the time and you trained yourself and, and the expectations for what the owner of a horse knows for husbandry is massive. They know the big diseases. They know what to look for. They understand uh, hoof care and, and all of that. And, and why, do you, dog, why do you think that is? Yeah. Why do you think that is? Oh my God. I wish I knew. Um, do you think it's the financial like, because a horse be. is a, a huge financial investment. Like, you don't just decide one day that, ah, I think I'll get a horse. Or yeah, you're not in yes. the mall one day and you accidentally <laughs> come home with a horse from the pet store. Like, that's, that's not a thing that generally happens. There's usually some forethought involved in getting a horse. Do you think if, like... If a dog was a, you know, minimally $6,000 investment, people would take it a little more seriously? Um, I don't know what's the finance. I think the finances make a difference. I, I do see that as being, because that's true. The other thing, I think there are a couple things at play, and I think that's a really good question. I think one, one is cultural. 
owning a horse is a thing you do. It's like owning a boat. You're now a boat owner. You're a horse owner. You own a yacht. You, you own, I keep saying rich things, but most people who own horses aren't rich. Um, you know, you, <laughs> well, not you, anymore. You, <laughs> not once they get the horse. <laughs> <laughs> you own a tractor. But you, you own a thing that defines kind of who you are. People don't own dogs and then become defined as dog owners. They're just people who own dogs. So I think that's part of it. I think that... Well, I mean, you can go out and pick up a dog off the street, literally, yeah, and be a dog owner. Like, yeah. I, have, I, I haven't you're seen right. many horses wandering around no. that just go home with somebody, and now, boom, you're a horse owner. Yeah, like, no, and the, you're right. The barrier to entry, well, and the other thing is you have to either live someplace that allows horses, so you have to plan where you live, or you're going to be in a stable environment. And that's where the second thing is I think that matters. I think it's cultural. If you are in a stable environment, um, the expectation is that you know this stuff. You, you know how horrible f uh, social media can be about people's ignorance. And I mean ignorance as in just uh -huh. not knowing, not, not willful ignorance, not being mean, just, just not knowing. I mean, just waking up and not having magical abilities to know everything on the planet. We're really tough on people on the, on the internet for that. So most people who own dogs, but they're not putting their shit out there but if you're at a barn you have no other choice the only way you're yeah. going to ride your horse is around other people who are super judgy judgmental and they're going to call you on everything they're going to call you on did you clean the horse's hooves did you who saddled your horse for you you know your saddle blanket has a wrinkle in it and um the, all all of that and again and vet those i mean you <laughs> they're very the prohibitive thing too. <laughs> the thing too is if if you're being a dumbass on a horse you're not just endangering yourself. You're putting everybody in that barn in danger with a several thousand pound animal. And my general experience with horse people, although I've never owned one, they are my favorite students, is they don't take shit from anybody. Like that's, it's not a negotiation. This is not up for discussion. You're either doing it this way, the correct way, or not at all. Step off. Yes. Yeah, like absolutely. And they're not, they're not, like, I don't mean to say that they're mean or jerks or it's just, this is the way things have to be done for everybody to be safe. And there is no negotiation. Well, I used to tell people, I, I was a very lenient horse trainer. And I used to tell people, my, my rules for my horses were very few, but the ones that I had, I meant them. There was no yeah. negotiating. Once I was on the horse's back, kind of anything went, because at that point I felt that we were in a contract where I would ask a question and they could answer the question and, and they could answer the question any way they deemed fit. Now, ideally bucking me off was not the answer. And I did put a lot of work into making sure that wasn't the answer. And, but on the ground, all it takes is a young, I've had a young colt. My very first job, I had <laughs> this little asshole colt. His name was ambition. I just remember this horse. Mm. It was this little shit. And what he would do is the, 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 Barn I worked at believed in putting the stud chains underneath the chin of the stallions. Well, the problem with that is it tends to make the horses rear up. It, it makes them light on their forehands because the pressure is coming from the jaw instead of over the nose. Mm -hmm. And so they were already light on their forehands. He was a two-year-old stud colt. And what he would do is he'd grab the stud chain in his mouth and then start throwing feet at you, his front feet. And he could kill you. I mean, there's yeah. no, there's, this is play he was playing. He was also being a little bit of an asshat, but this was not, oh, 
look, the doggy's playing with me and I've got some scratches. No, it's I got struck in the head with a hoof and now I am dead. Yeah. And you didn't dick around with that. You, the, the, the repercussions, <laughs> yeah, the repercussions like for that yeah, yeah, is you rip that chain out of his teeth and you, you lay into him and you make him have a very bad day. Yeah. And then you yep. move on. Then you move yep. on. You're not angry. You're not upset. You, you don't, you're not holding a grudge. You just laid down the law and you said, look, you don't throw feet at me. I had very few rules on the ground, or, or, uh, generally, but the rules on the ground were you don't pick a, you don't throw a foot at me, you don't bite me, and you don't kick me, and other and don't smash me. Yeah, I don't no like squishing. squish. Yeah, no yeah. squishing. Um, but pretty much other than that, do whatever you want. You know, I don't care. But man on the ground, I'm not going to get killed by you. And so I think, and also the other thing I think you look at horses, and they're kind of a bridge between two worlds dogs you can own in an urban environment you could have never owned any other animal but a goldfish horses kind of put you one leg into into kind of livestock as it were uh -huh. where the attitudes are completely different you know no one ever says if your cow is cold you're cold <laughs> or you know if you're cold your cow is cold my bad yeah. um well. you know oh you're it's 30 degrees out where are your cows you know, they're cows and you can't just say they're dogs if you said the phrase they're dogs oh my god the world would open up and swallow <laughs> you whole horses are that middle ground because a horse is is not a cow you know if, if it breaks a leg you don't eat it <laughs> Right, right. Somebody might, not but this, it's not, not you. Country. <laughs> not in this country. Um, <laughs> you name them, you love them, you pet them, um, but you also sell them. You know, people don't own a horse for their whole lives. Like I said, people don't get foals and start there. That's an expensive way to go. And it, as they get older, they might decide that they want a horse that goes in a different direction. So there's a totally, it, it, it bridges that gap. And so I think you kind of move people's mentality from, I can live exactly the way I've always lived, just add a dog. Yeah. And yep. versus I am now a livestock owner and I need to have a little more realistic situation. Uh, you know, that whole fuzzy thing when you're a little kid. Oh, why did why did they shoot that horse on the racetrack? He broke his leg. They could have fixed him. Oh, you know, that that yeah. we all did. You know, we all and it's great. I think that's wonderful. And I wish they could. And um, you know, all of that. But when you're in that world, you realize that's not fair. Even if you could spend the next six months putting the horse in a sling and hoping to hell that you could somehow fix a fractured cannon bone, you're not going to. It's not fair yeah. to the animal. And you really start understanding that, I think, that world view difference, that an unsound horse is not a happy animal, whereas an right. unsound dog, meh, who cares? So... I think you do get a little bit of a different perspective. And I, you're right. Money's part of it. The culture is part of it. Obviously, you've got to have, you're making a commitment. You are either moving to a location where you can have that horse and you're changing your whole lifestyle around because you're not just leaving town. You've got a bloody horse. Yeah. And, or you are stabling that horse, you know, to the tune of a couple hundred bucks a month. And now you're surrounded by other people who are kind of in that same mental space as you. So I, I do think that's where some of that comes in. And I think that dog people would be better served. Dogs would be better served if dog owners thought 
of owning a dog a lot more like they thought of owning a horse. Actually, probably children, probably owners of children, what they called parents, yeah. would probably be the same way. You know, I think that probably people do put more thought into buying a horse than they would having a kid. And because yeah. it's just too easy. And I'm not saying we should make a barrier to owning a kid. Wait, having a child. But I do, I do think that, I think that horses, I think that dogs suffer from unreal expectations and a failure on the owner's part to understand the depth of the responsibility they're taking on, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So if you had ultimate cosmic powers and could, Ooh, danger. Yeah. <laughs> and could shift the trends that you see in pet dog ownership um, and kind of the the roadblocks that that trainers face there. What what would be your focus? What would be what you'd want to shift and what you'd want to change? Uh, my I think the biggest way that we fail our dogs is by not permitting them to be what they are. I think we've we've anthropomorphized for more. Oh, good God! Easy we've anthropomorphized them. Yeah. We've anthropomorphized them to the point where they're little humans. We put clothes on them, and that's fine. You can put, I don't, it's, I'm not judging a person for putting a jacket on their dog. I'm judging uh, society that thinks that dogs are little people. They're not. People are weak, pathetic creatures. We have two legs, not four. We lose balance really easily. We can't tolerate any sort of temperature extremes without croaking. We can't run worth a damn. Um, and we and we are and we're a cerebral animal. We're an animal that can live inside 24/7 watching TV and playing video games or reading and be completely content. Not every one of us, but the species as a whole can do that. Dogs cannot. And it's unfair of us to expect our dogs to have happy lives when we're saying you're little teeny people and you don't get to touch the ground and the half hour walk you get a day should be enough for you. I, I really think that dogs suffer when they're not permitted to be dogs. And part of that involves risk. People are incredibly risk averse. I remember getting really annoyed at a video. It went around the internet. I'm sure it'll be around again. It went around the internet maybe a year, year and a half ago. And it was a dog on a boat. It was, it was in a ocean. That's what that thing is called. That big water thing. It was in the ocean. <laughs> and I believe the dog was, it was German shepherd and the dog was barking at like a seal or a dolphin or something in the water. And it's on the edge of the, on the, on the boat. And then the dog, I believe jumped into the water and then they fished the dog out of the water. <laughs> Okay, so it's a cute video of a dog barking at a dolphin and then trying to chase a dolphin into the ocean, which didn't go as planned, and then them fishing the dog out of the water. Okay, well, the comments, that's always where you see humanity at its worst and most terrifying, Yes. was, oh my God, how dare the dog not have a life jacket on? How dare you let the dog jump out? How did, why is the dog not leashed on a boat? I'm like, leashed on a fucking boat? Are you goddamn kidding me? What is coming? What is wrong with people? It's a dog, and it jumped out of the boat to chase a dolphin. And that it's not the- like they—it's not like they <laughs> drove away and left him no. there. <laughs> no, 
and right just, back out. No, and it wasn't, there wasn't a typhoon going on. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like everybody was down below decks and they strapped the dog to the freaking outside of the boat and they're like, don't die, Fred. You know, well, the dogs are great. And they're like, well, the dog could have drowned. And I'm like, every dog that I've ever met can swim. Oh, I've met a few who can't, but at the same it's, time, if they can't, they generally aren't taken out into the middle of the ocean on a boat. No, and they, they can't, it might not be pretty, but they do that standing up pogo thing where they at least keep their head above water and do the flailing. Long but enough then, for you to fish them out of the ocean. Yeah, they don't sink like a child. You know, if you put a four-year-old child or two-year-old child into the water and said, have fun with that versus any dog on earth the dog is not going to just drown. They, they have enough generally lung, honestly, air to just keep afloat. And they know how to dog paddle. Hello, it's named the dog paddle for a reason. <laughs> so they're horrified that the dog's not wearing a, you know, it's not wearing a leash. It's not wearing protective watercraft equipment. What the hell is it called? Life jacket. I'm like, and they let it jump out with the dolphin. And I'm like, okay, the only thing I can actually see is being a complaint. The only thing is... Yes, the dog could have jumped towards the propellers. I don't know anything about boats. The second thing is, dogs shouldn't be harassing dolphins. Wildlife. Yeah. 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 Okay. But really? Really? I'm like, <laughs> no one yeah. died here. No one was in danger here. I, suck it up, cupcakes. It's, and, and I just see things like that, and I, I, I cringe at the lives of the dogs who live with people like that must lead yeah and i and i really wonder like um i really try very very hard not to look at the comments in in videos like that and for the most part i try really really hard not to look at those videos because for the most part it is well-meaning pet owners sharing videos that anybody in the industry find either horrifying or terrifying or some combination of the two um, but also the problem is in the comment section is where you find everybody who knows better and would never dare make a mistake ever in their entire life. That's where all the perfect people live is in the yes, comment section. Only there. Yeah. Only there. And I, I would like to meet some of these perfect people in real life someday. <laughs> I don't because, exist. I know, because at any given moment I can go through and look at you know, my dogs that live here and one of them's toenails are too long and the <gasps> other one, I know, don't oh even god. start with me. Oh my god. And You're going to ruin that whole dog's movement. He's going he's gonna to have hip dysplasia because of that. Well, he's already got a busted up knee and he's 13, so yeah. Oh, well, that's the reason he has a busted up knee and that's probably the reason he's 13 too. Yeah, probably. <laughs> he would only be seven now if he'd clipped his damn nails. <laughs> And I've got one that's head shy and I've got one that, you know, will <laughs> chase lights given a chance. And I'm like, you know what? Oh. They are all really actually well-adjusted dogs who manage to live pretty darn happy lives despite my complete and utter incapability of, you know, owning a dog, according to the perfect people. Yes. Um, and yes. I think I think part of... You know, from my perspective, one of the things that dog training and dog trainers do is chase away the average dog owner by harping on these ridiculous little details of life 
wherein all of a sudden this dog is a project and not part of the family. Like this isn't a dog that can just hang out and, you know, occasionally eat table scraps and fart in the living room and, you know, go for walks. Now all of a sudden it needs to be enriched and it needs to be, you know, trained and it needs to be doing this at this time. And then there needs to be daycare and you need to have this supplement and only the very best food. And, um, the very best food. Oh my God, that's a can of worms. <laughs> Don't even go down there. Run away, run away now. No, I have, so of my six and a half dogs, Ketchum is my 12, 13-ish year old border collie. She was my first quote unquote real border collie and I got her specifically to herd. I got her because I wanted to really do herding with a real legit border collie, not my fake black and white dog that I called a border collie who was probably golden retriever. And so I got her to be my real border collie and I took her to my herding instructor and she flunked out of herding school. She was awful. She's like, I'm eating sheep. And I'm like, Oh, this is a problem. So she flunked out of herding school, which is fine. Cause then I got into triathlon and blah, 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 blah. My life went in a different trajectory. That dog can walk on a leash from the car to a trailhead and back. She knows her name. She comes when called. She, no sit. She kind of downs. She does this lightning fast down that's immediately replaced by a sit and where's my food. That is all this dog knows. That's it. She has no tricks. She has no advanced anything. She protects the house against vulture incursions. And she's a ranch dog and she follows the ATV and she stares at the sheep hoping for a breach um, so that she can eat some sheep, but that is, that's it. That's, and, and you know what? Her life is freaking fantastic. There's, there's nothing wrong with her life. Billy, the kid, my livestock guardian dog doesn't even really, I think, know down. She was supposed to, she was supposed to learn it in puppy class. She kind of, well, she liquefies. So she goes from a sit, the sit is brief. And then it is followed by a liquefied dog. Who's, she just melts. Yeah, she, and then that's it. That's the end of any sort of training because now you can't get her out of her liquid form and back to, <laughs> back to a dog form. And again, she knows her name. She comes when called if it fits into her schedule and sits or liquefies and can be led from place to place with her collar. But she again liquefies because she thinks you're going to put her in the crate, which are the dog run, which is generally the reason you're putting her in a collar. And that's, that's really it. And again, I think if you were to ask Billy and catch him, what kind of lives they lead, they'd be like, Oh my God, this is the coolest thing today. I chased lizards. And then I did this. And we have currently, we have the uh, squirrel of, of, uh, we have the ghost of squirrels past dice, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> dice murder squirrel on Saturday. And what happens is they slowly um, kind of turn into a little squirrel piece of pelt that solidifies and dehydrates. And so it's like a little squirrel jerky now and he's flat and he travels from place to place in the property and they roll in him. And so Ketchum's had an opportunity to roll in the squirrel jerky and carry it from place to place. And Billy's rolled in the squirrel jerky and, you know, and Ed chased the vultures and Billy's barked at every truck that comes up the mountain because she can hear them and she needs to tell them that she's here. And that's a hell of, I'm sorry, that is a hell of a lot better life than someone whose dog 
lives 23 and a half hours in a freaking house all damn day. Yep. I don't give a shit how many times they're groomed and how many tricks they know. And I'm sorry. It, there's no comparison. None. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think we need to be kind of a little more realistic and a little more honest with ourselves about what what makes a good dog, honestly. And, you know, the answer should probably be it depends on the owner. Like, yes. I know owners that could not care less if their dog walked on a loose leash. They don't care. But yeah, that dog everybody who yeah, everybody that, owns a dog who weighs less than ten pounds. <laughs> yeah. But that dog would need to come when called no matter what. Yes. So some some dog trainer sees that dog pulling like a freight train from the car to the building and goes, What a crappy dog owner. When in fact that's the only time the dog is on a leash is from the car to the building and the rest of the time it's got free reign and so it's not important to the owner for it to walk on the leash. Like yeah. I think we need to to start checking ourselves as a organization well, I, yeah i always tell people when i'm training classes i you know i'm like this is your dog and your lifestyle and you teach what you want to teach i don't care i'm just telling you what i teach and why and i'm going to tell you what other people teach and why they teach it but i'm i'm not going to tell you how to live your life you know if you um, so I always teach what I call a default stay at doorways or default wait at doorways. I, I have six and a half dogs and the last thing I want to do is open a door and have everybody, no matter where my dogs are, they want to be on the other side of any given door. They're like cats. And so if a door is open, their desire is to be on the other side of it, regardless of who is where. And so I tell people this, I train this, I train it where the door is open you have to wait for your name to be said, and then you get to come in, you get to come through the door. But I'm like, if you don't care, it's not my job to care. It's your dog. You live your life with your dog. If you want your dog to jump on you, that's totally cool. But let's put it on cue so it doesn't smash some little old lady or squish a two-year-old. Right. If you want your dog to jump on the furniture, that's fine too. I don't care. It's not my furniture. But again, let's put it on cue so that when you come and visit me... <laughs> your dog isn't in, isn't on my furniture. Right. So, you know, I think that we absolutely must be very appropriate when understanding the people don't live the lifestyle. None of my, I, my dogs don't even live the same lifestyle. I have one home and six and a half dogs and they all have different lifestyles. Mm -hmm. You know, some are the indoor dogs, some are the outdoor dogs. Oh my God, I have outdoor dogs. Yes. Um, yeah. Some, Get That's a little spoiled and get to climb on me if I'm on the couch. And some don't. Some have boatloads of training. Some don't. They all have different lifestyles even within, even within the house. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we're almost out of time. Yes. Is there, <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to, to touch on? A lot of this stuff we'll get to in future episodes. Absolutely, yes. Anything else that the, the world like must know about you? No, I don't think so. No. This is priority too much. Let's be <laughs> <honest>. <laughs> well, I mean, there... <laughs> they should probably know that you're a Dr. Pepper addict. Like, we need, oh, to, well, we yeah. need to, have we to bring that up. Yeah. Full that's the only thing that keeps me there. 
Well, I'll use that at some point because I always use that as my best demonstration of frustration. (laughs) (laughs) And extinction, extinction bursts are always the best described using Dr. Pepper as the the evidence. Yes, yes. All right. Well, as always, it was lovely chatting with you. You too. Yay. And this we, is our second podcast. Woot. We're look like at real us podcasters. Go. I know. It's so I know. Exciting. Look at us go. It's so exciting. <laughs> All right. Well, we will talk at each other again next week. Next week. Awesome. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>